I don't know if we realize the magnitude of this. Like, I know, I know there's doubt in the room right now as, as he's talking. Just like, well, he can't be completely. Jesus does these things. Jim didn't earn it. I didn't earn my freedom. Okay. So, so we're... <laughs> I'm Pete, by the way. Like, this is my beautiful wife, Lisa. We celebrated our, our seventh year anniversary. We, it's, it, was, uh, it, was, it was yesterday, but we celebrated Friday. And uh, the girls went to our, our dear Aunt Julia's house. Um, yeah, I'm so thankful to be here. Like, I'm, like more than anything, not, not my position in the room today. I'm thankful to be alive. I'm thankful to be part of this. So this week is the final week of believe. Can you believe it? Unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like, I like it. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is the final week. It's, it's humility. This is week 30. We've been doing this for 30 weeks. Insane. But I'm telling you, like the fruit that's coming out of this, like, so the first 10 weeks of believe what we did, it was a, it was, it was a chunk of chapters, and they covered these core foundational beliefs of who, of who we are as, as Christ followers, as Jesus people. And it was kind of broken down into, like, it's categorized in, what do I believe? What is it that I believe? That was the first 10 chapters. The following 10 chapters was in the light of these things that I've declared and maybe for the first time learned about, because let's be honest, like, the reason this book was written was to combat biblical illiteracy in the church. So in the, in the light of these facts, in the light of these things, it causes something to well up in us, and the question arises, what do I do? And it's not like, so I, I, I was talking about Jim not earning what was given to him freely, and I haven't earned my freedom. My freedom happened because I, I encountered the living God. I don't have time to go into my story, but I, am, I was an addict. Like, pick your poison. And I realized that I was, like, I, I realized truth, and it wasn't that I was made busted. Is that my proclivities were pointed at the wrong thing. I am an addict, but I am, I am focused on my addiction. And it gives me life. When we take these things that were given to us and we point them at anything less than the source, it breaks us. Breaks us. And you wonder why there's brokenness in the world. It's because we chase something that doesn't satisfy. There's one, one being that satisfies. There's one being that gives life. Yes. So we, the, the second group of 10, what do I do? So as these things well up in me, worship, my generosity, like uh, how, how I interact with other people, like, uh, like there's a whole list of them. They're the fruit of what's been poured into us. I don't know if you know this, but we're all bearing fruit, all of us. We're all reproducing ourselves. 
Now we can, we can either choose life, and I stress the choice. We can choose life, or we can choose brokenness. I'm not saying this to beat us up because this is, this is a, a question I have to ask myself every day. But then when I think about it in the way it's painted, the way it's laid out for us, I'm looking at my bride here. She chose me. There were thousands of men. Now, I mean, not in your life. <laughs> like there are thousands of men. Like, let me redirect this. Uh, like like you, had, you had thousands of, like you're beautiful. Like you were a, a priceless treasure. So many men would be honored to have you. And you chose me. This is what the choice is in our lives. It's not about choosing the morally good thing or doing the right thing. It's not about that. It's about choosing the love of our life. Like who, those of us that are married in here, we chose our spouse. I'm grateful that I had choices and that my wife had choices because only the best one was set aside for me and I am the best one for her. See, we're talking about humility. So this 10 weeks, the final 10 weeks, what it is, is who am I becoming? That's the question we ask ourselves. So if I've learned these things, if these things have been foundationally sown into my life, then something happens when I take when that takes root when I when I grab a hold of that something naturally happens but when those things that fruit that like consistently comes to bear like that becomes that's who I'm becoming and so I want you to know like again you are not earning it he is doing the becoming do you know why It's because he is good. That's it. He alone is good. There's not a soul in here, in here by accident. Oh, man. Who am I becoming? What is the output of my life? Again, I say, we are reproducing something. We act, we respond, we speak. We think, what kind of fruit am I producing? Does it flow from what I believe and do? So the final week of belief. Humility, and so each one of these chapters, it's asked a key question that kind of prefaces the whole thing and guides us through some scripture. And this, this, the, the 30th week, the key question goes like this. What does it mean to value others before myself? The church needs to hear this. I need to hear this every day. What does it mean to value others before myself? And the key idea for this week goes like this. I choose to esteem others above myself. I choose 
It is the joy of the choice. It's the joy of being provided the right choice. And it makes, it makes the right choice that much better. My wife makes every other choice that I made in my life insignificant because you were the right choice. And it makes my life full. I can say this, I'm, don't, don't hear me up here bragging about anything because I made millions of the wrong choice. Jail cells suck. Addiction sucks. Broken relationships sucks. But I'm, I want, I, I gotta stress, the right choice is available. And, and presented to you right here today. That's why you're in this room. I choose to esteem others above myself. Now this isn't like, like by esteeming others above myself, that doesn't make, that doesn't, I'm not declaring myself less than anything. If I'm going to esteem someone over myself, it means I'm agreeing with what God says about me. And I function from the state of, I am so solidified in who I am that why would I not want people to know the same thing? Come with me is what it is. Not me, Jesus. Why would I want, not want you to know that? My heart in this today, I want us to observe Jesus' actions. I don't want us to observe what the world says humility is. I don't want us to observe, like, we'll talk about this, but I don't want us to think about what social media says, what our peers say is right or just or worth anything. We're going we're gonna to watch what Jesus, how Jesus modeled humility. By observing Jesus' actions, we will find that humility is how we were designed to respond to the fullness of God's power in us. I'm going to say that again because I think we've, we've allowed that word to be hijacked. Like humility is like, oh, I'm, I'm less than. No, humility is how we were designed to respond to the fullness of God's power in us. Now, do I act in the light of the fullness of God's power at work in me? Or do I act in the light of my own power? That is pride. So we find right now that pride is the opposite of humility. And we also find that making yourself, oh, I'm not worth, that is pride. The pride of choosing to tell God who he says that I am. You are priceless. You are worth the cross. You are worth the resurrection. Let's get to the key verse. If you got your word with you, it's in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. So this is kind of, each chapter kind of takes, takes a, a chunk of scripture and it addresses the rest of the chapter. I'm just going to touch on a little bit of the, of the book. But Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 says this. 
Say this with me. Do nothing. Do nothing. Out of rivalry or conceit. I think of social media just right out of the gate. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit. But in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Look at that. He's not saying quit looking at your own interests. He's, he's, he's not saying don't take care of yourself. Because in reality, if we are taking care of ourselves, others will come to the forefront as needing our attention. <laughs> I love my babies. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, so look out for yourself. But if you do that in a way that is fueled by God's fullness of his power, we're going to hold other people up. That's it. Webster, so let's go, let's, let's see what the world defines as humility. Webster, and I love this definition, Webster's Dictionary provides this definition for humility. It says, the freedom from pride. The freedom from pride or arrogance, the quality or state of being humble. I'm going to say that again. The freedom from pride. I don't know about you, but I, I love the idea of being free, of thinking myself as garbage or less than. Freedom from pride. Arrogance is telling God who he says that I am. And humility comes from the Latin word humilitas, which is closely related to the Latin adjective humilis. Look at that. I want to ask you from a scriptural account. What was humanity made from? So Webster agrees. Just saying God made us. Webster says that. So there's Webster's definition. Now what does the Bible define as humility? So in that, would you throw up that Philippians passage again, please? Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Let's look at the crazy word for humility. There we go. So it kind of looks like somebody fell asleep on a keyboard or something, like... I will not say that again. <laughs> Humility, as according to Paul's letter to the Philippians, says it means having a humble opinion of oneself, a deep sense of one's moral littleness. Now, we need to listen to this from the mouth of God and not from the mouths of men. Having moral littleness just means I am looking at myself honestly in the light of who God is and who he says that I am. Not making less of his creation. The pride in me. Having a deep sense of one's moral littleness, modesty, humility, lowliness of mind. Again, it is the recognition of who God is. It's not making me any less than what he made. It's making him as big as I can make him. 
It's an awareness of my existence before him. And now that crazy excuse for a word is made up of two compound Greek words, tapainas. I don't know if I have that. Um, yeah, it's okay. I'm, I'm actually, so like, I sleep like a rock normally, and last night I got 40 minutes of sleep. I, I was not, I could not sleep. And that's not, that is never the case for me. Well, like as I was like talking through the first service, I was like, he is building my reliance on him. Because if I'm moving my mouth, then that's me. That is my own power. That's my own pride. Or I can choose to be weak. As Paul said, Jesus told him, in your weakness, my power is made perfect. The dudes in here need to hear this. It is weakness that makes him perfect. Okay, so... Tapainas, it means not rising far from the ground. So that's one part of that crazy mess of a word. And then frain, tapainas and frain, means the midriff. It's implying uh, sympathy. Or it's implying uh, the, the, the faculty of perceiving and judging or understanding. So you can see the combination of like, it is, it is both acknowledgement of who I am, and then sympathy, it is acknowledgement of who other people are. Humility has to do with all of us. Humility is me existing as the Lord made me to be. Not only that, but it's also, it also means that I should desire others to live as the Lord made them to be. That's why we pick others up more important than our, as, as more important than ourselves. It doesn't mean that they are. Just means they need to know, like we all need to know how much we are valued by the king of kings. We need to know these things because otherwise we just do Christian stuff. And we just make rules for ourselves that we fail at. New Year's resolution, New Year's resolution, right? You are worth it. You are loved. You're royal. I used that word hijacked earlier. The word humble has been hijacked. Like in medieval England, like feudal, feudal uh, times, pardon my lack of the English language, uh, there were rulers and there were paupers, right? Class systems. And somewhere along the lines, the people, the butchers distorted the meaning of humility and they, they talked about the cuts that were lesser than of the meat. So like the rich people got the good meat Poor people got the bad meat. And that bad meat, British accent, they say the umbles, humbles. Like they took it and assigned it to like what? Like the dregs. And it inherently made people feel less than by taking something that God designed to inform us of our, the reality of our existence and it made it less than and actually crushed people down. Like that's why the, the class system existed. In fact, America was founded on that rebellion from that system, and yet all of us kind of adopted that class system in the church, didn't we? Somebody feeds us. Somebody worth something feeds us, right? The umbles. 
So we've heard what the world says humility is, and we've heard what that scripture passage in Philippians says humility is. Let's see what Jesus shows us. He is the fullness of the scripture. He is the scripture with skin on. He breathed it. He spoke it. Those of you that don't know it in here, it's like he quoted, he quoted the scriptures, the Torah. It came out of his mouth. He lived it. He is the forerunner. He is our example. John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. Let's look at that. So this first portion here, before the Passover festival. So this is obviously, the Passover festival is when Jesus died. So he's nearing his time, right? The fulfillment of his purpose on the earth. Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. There's so much right there. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. His people like the people that he called his own, they were his thoughts when he was going to the cross. It, like, it, like, like later in the chapter, it says that they sang together. He was celebrating with his people because he loved them. Now that word love, like, we, like some of us are aware of like the varying definitions, the Greek words for love, right? This particular instance, Jesus having loved his own, Jesus agaped his own. Now, I know some of us are familiar with that term agape, and we, we, we've heard it as God love, right? Or like the perfect love. Here is what agape means. It means to have a preference for. All of this stuff flood in his mind. And he has a preference for those he loves. have a preference for, to wish well to, to regard the welfare of, to take pleasure in. It takes pleasure in you. To prize a thing above other things. These were his thoughts before he went to the cross. To be unwilling to abandon or do without. That's what agape means. He is unwilling to abandon you or do without you and me. Unwilling, the Lord of the universe, the one that spoke and everything happened, is unwilling to do without us. To welcome with desire, to long for. Okay, let's go back to the scripture. Now, by the time of the supper, the devil had already put into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Now stop right there. What is Judas encountering? Pride. How am I that different from Judas? Judas was simply determining what his best option was instead of being informed by the king of kings. I do it every day. Sometimes we place ourselves in the heroic portions of scripture rather than who, who we were meant to hear it as. 
Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God and that he was going back to God. In other words, he was aware of the fullness of his power. What do you think he did in this moment? Don't turn it yet. Like, what do you guys think he did? What's that? Yes. The fullness of his power was made. It was on his mind. And what did he do? He washed his disciples' feet. Why is that significant? So he got up from supper laid aside his robe so he made himself vulnerable. He looked unkept, unkempt. He didn't have a Sunday best on. Took a towel and he tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. This is our king. He is the king who kneels. There is no other king that does that. Begin to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with a towel tied around him. Like imagine the awkwardness of that picture. King of kings, all majesty, all honor, all glory. And he's like on his knees looking less than cool. Some of us might know the significance of why he chose their feet to wash, but I'm gonna explain it a little bit. Like in Eastern cultures, like for me to like show you the, the sole of my foot is like a deep insult. Like people, when they're really been out of shape, they'll walk in somewhere and they'll throw their shoes at people because it's like the, the darkest thing you can do. It's like the ultimate insult. And what did he do? He got down on his knees like a beggar. And he picked the dirtiest thing, the most filthy cultural thing he could find. And he purified it. He washed it and dried it with stuff that he was wearing. He came to Simon Peter, who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you don't understand now, but afterwards you will know. You will never wash my feet. Ever. What is that? Pride. And it was coming from a good place, I'm sure. He was doing the right, the right thing. Like, I refuse for you to wash my feet. I'm not worth it. 
Like, you're the king, don't touch my feet. I'm embarrassed to see you kneel. You will never wash my feet. That is my audacity that I share. Jesus replied, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And that word for part, I don't have the Greek word for it, but it means share of the inheritance. You don't have what I have if you don't let me. Showing Peter what life looks like through the lens of the fullness of his power. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. I love Peter. Like I have a tendency to jump the shark. Jesus says this, he says, one who is bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet. Remember earlier, Jesus said, you are clean because of the words I've spoken to you. You are clean because of the words he has spoken to you. You don't earn cleanliness. You are clean. You are clean, but not all of you, for he knew who would betray him. What is this painting the picture of? It's not, it's, it's, it's not like he's saying, like, Judas, too bad, you lost out. Judas chose to decide what was best for himself. That's why it was better if he had never been born. That's what the scripture said. It's because he chose wrong. Jesus was available. He was in the room. He lived with him. Jesus' bodily form ate with him. Man, I connect with Judas. And I praise him because of it. And Jesus had washed their feet. That word wash is this Greek word, nipto. Do I have that slide? Nipto. It means to ceremonially clean, to purify. So he wasn't like, like we do with our kids and put like disinfectant on their hands. He was ceremonially ceremonially making them clean by touching the forbidden place. Like, you don't even look at that. And he washed it. Why else did he wash their feet? What do, what do our feet tell us? Where we've been. He purified their road. He is purified everything I have ever done. I have a lot of sins on my list. The man you see right here is not the same man that I was eight, nine years ago. But it's only because I'm free. Because I agree with him. Because I say that he is able to make me whole. And I say that he is able to make you whole. Jim is a living testimony. He's, he stands before us healed, not because something magic happened. It's because he said, I, 
I believe you, Jesus. I'm worth it. I'm worth being made better. You're worth it. I'm running long. I'm sorry. Do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, Jesus said. This is well said, for I am. So, if I, your Lord and teacher, that word Lord, Kyrios in Greek, it means owner. I just want us to think about what we say. When we say Jesus is my Lord, it says I am owned by Jesus. That means he determines where my life goes. I didn't used to be owned by him. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, have niptoed your path, you also, catch this, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Humility is accepting that and then giving it. Humility is saying, I agree that I am the shine of your cosmos, that I am the most intricate and beautiful thing that you have ever created. And so is everyone around me, and I'm going I'm to make sure that they know that their path has been made pure. Now, I can't forgive sins. We all know that. But I can forgive We all harbor unforgiveness. All of us. Right now, there's a name that popped into our heads right now. For I have given you an example that you should also do as I, just as I have done for you. I assure you, a slave is not greater than his master and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. That word wash, nipto, like it's used over and over again, eight times, in fact. Whenever you see repeated words in scripture, it's because that is like a billboard. And that's for us. It's for you. So I've got, I'm going to take a couple minutes. I have this neighbor. We all have this neighbor, right? We just moved into this neighborhood. And there's one neighbor that's, he's been highlighted to me as somebody that I'm supposed to love radically, but he's difficult. You know, like, we got a, we got a notice on our door like a couple days after we moved in. It's like we get this public nuisance notice I was mad. Like, I was just like, like I, called the, I called the local government, and I was like, I was the city of the next, I was like, I was like, apparently I'm a nuisance, but uh, I just wanted you to know I'm not anymore because I threw my trash away, you know? Like, I did that with the wrong heart. That was not humility. I wanted to confess that to you guys because I want you to know that I'm going to take this week to respond to what I've been taught, and I am going to love him. He's going to know that. 
So I ask you, what was the name? You don't have to spit it out, but what was the name that was brought to your mind? And how can you take this week to release them from some kind of bond that you've assigned to them? How can you step into freedom? Freedom of pride. Are you guys cool if we don't, if we lay back? Yeah, let's, I mean, what was Jesus' final act toward those who loved, who loved him, who lived with him, who knew him, who would soon betray and flee from him, who profoundly wronged him? When he took into account the depths of his power, the culmination of his time on earth, the moment he would bridge the gap once and for all, for all of eternity. What did he do? He removed his robe. He knelt, the kneeling king, and he washed their feet. He kneels to wash our feet. The perfected power of God is not displayed in a great speech or an elevated position like we see so often in church houses. Orators standing on something higher than the rest of everybody else. Perfected power of God is not in that. It's not in royal attire. It's not in uh, the heart of the city. He's not speaking in the heart of the city for all to see. But kneeling in clothes no one was meant to see. Without words and a love that never abandons. Remember that word? Agape? He will never abandon you. The weak things shame the strong and the foolish things shame the wise. I'm going to serve him this week. I'm going to serve my neighbor this week. Let's pray. Jesus, God, we just, we thank you. You're a king who does perfectly majestic things unlike anything else we've ever seen. And you did it not so that you would just stand out, but that you would remind us that we stand out because we bear your name, because we bear your inheritance. And God, when we allow you to wash our feet, you say you have a share in my kingdom. And that in turn causes us to wash somebody else's feet. It causes us to love radically, mercifully, and humbly. It means we will approach you from our knees. Thank you, Jesus, for your bountiful mercy. We love you. Amen. You guys, it has been a blessing to be here. Have a great week. I'm sorry to go so long. Yeah.